You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The pitch, a swing and a drive, deep left field. Welcome to the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron. That ball's hit hard and deep to left field, backing to the track, to the wall, and it's gone! It's a grand slam! Now, Matt Pauley, Mike Claiborne, and the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron. Wainwright picks out the sign, the pitch is swung on a miss, throw to second base, strike him out, throw him out, double play. On the Cardinals Radio Network. Welcome in. It is the countdown to opening day show across the Cardinals radio network for the final time this offseason. The show is not completely coming your way from Florida. I'm in St. Louis, but I'll be in Jupiter next week. Already in Jupiter is Mike Claiborne. Claibs, always good to be able to talk to you. Even better that starting next week, uh, we'll be looking at each other while we do these. Well, I'm looking forward to that, Matt, for sure, uh, because there'll be a lot going on with regard to the Cardinals, and spring training is here. There's a number of players that are already here uh, working out, and they're trying to get the facility squared away. As we talked before, the Cardinals had planned on being out of there, but they had to move back in, so they're starting from scratch, but they're working hard, and uh, it'll be ready to go come uh, Valentine's Day. Yeah, the truck left earlier this week. If it hasn't gotten there yet, it's going to get oh, there. Oh, it's, very- it's been oh, here. Okay. Yeah, it's been here. So all our uh, all our equipment has, uh, has made its way in. It's really incredible because while pitchers and catchers may technically report coming up uh, next Tuesday, like you said, a lot of activity is already going on out there. There is quite a bit of it. Some There's some guys that are doing some tossing. Uh, I watched uh, Jordan Walker today work on some outfield drills from Jose Akendo. Uh, Mason Wynn is here. There are a few more guys that are scheduled to roll in tomorrow. I believe Lance Lynn gets here tomorrow. So uh, the gang will all be here, uh, you know, probably somewhere between now and Monday. You, some guys may come in after the Super Bowl, but I would think you'll have a few more guys rolling in before the Super Bowl, and uh, they'll all gather somewhere and perhaps watch it together. Uh, but you know what? It's it's time. It's here. Uh, this is going to be a large camp. I, I think somewhere between 68 and 69 players uh, will be here with the non-roster invitees and some other players that are coming off of rehab. So uh, it'll be a crowded clubhouse for sure. Klaibs, if you are a guy who's on a minor league contract with invite to spring training, you better show out early because with that many guys there, and like you have already alluded to many times, it feels like the regulars are probably going to get some more extended playing time this year, especially down the stretch of spring training. There might just not be the opportunities this year for you know player number 57 on the roster. I agree with you, Matt. Uh, you better do something real early. Uh, I think for me, uh, I was always taught you never walk on grass. So I think for every drill there is, you need to be standing out, being first, and being in, in any way you can get in front of a coach. Uh, you have to make them not like you, I think is where I would look at it. And uh, you, you just have to go in really ready to do anything and everything, come early, stay late, ask questions, make sure you're on the right path, and uh, see where it takes you. And the organization can't technically ask guys to come early. They, you know, position players don't have to report until position player report date. But I think we would be naive to say that the organization doesn't take note of the guys who show up early and are doing work when they don't have to, you know, air quotes, be, you know, be forced to do it. Yeah, no, that's a good point you make. Uh, I was at the Marlins camp yesterday or the uh, earlier today as well. 
And uh, they have a whole ton of guys over there, man, trying to put work in. So, you know, you're right. It's an unwritten rule where, you know, you don't you can't invite a guy to come early. But I think if you're trying to make the team, uh, that that's a good way to, to do it. And I always remember Albert Pujols saying every year he came to spring training, he, he prepared like it was his first spring training and he was just trying to make the team. And when you see guys of that nature who put that sort of work and dedication into it, uh, it would behoove some of the younger players with less skill to maybe follow in that same path. Younger players with a lot of skill. You mentioned them already, Jordan Walker and Mason Wynn. Walker's been down there for a while. He basically relocated to uh, the Jupiter area. There are no two players that are more important to what the Cardinals want to do this season than those two young guys. So to me, it is very encouraging to know the work that they're already putting in. No, I agree. And there's some other guys that are here, too. Uh, we don't want to make it just a Walker win show. You know, uh, Paul Goldschmidt's been here for a while. There have been some other players that have come in, and some of them try and get home for the weekend if they can, if they live close by. But I think overall, just the overall commitment that we're seeing from guys, because let's face it, Matt, nobody had to be, could be happy with last year's results. I don't Because nobody had a career year. I mean, Jordan Walker led the team in hitting as a rookie, and 275 isn't what I'd call ideal. So, I mean, there's a lot of room for improvement because I think they all know they're better than what the record indicated last year. And we have a lot of new faces that are going to be competing for jobs that a lot of guys last year, man, had a chance to really audition and show that they belong. Well, that wasn't good enough. So now we're going to bring in some other people and the competition, I think, this year will be as stiff as we've seen in a long, long time. Claves, we've got a fun program coming up. Uh, I've got an extended conversation with Randy Flores. When you talk about interesting people and you think about him as a Cardinals pitcher, winning a World Series, and then everything that he did between his playing career coming to an end and rejoining the organization as the scouting director and overseeing a department that has had tons of success in, in recent years, he's he, he has a bright future right now. But my goodness, what an interesting guy and a, a really interesting baseball journey he's been on. I don't think there's any question, Matt, you hit the nail on the head. And if I were to own a team and uh, I was looking for a bright young guy who could run my operation, Randy Flores would be on page one of that list. Uh, I've I've watched him as a player. You mentioned now he went back to USC, got his master's, got into scouting, had his own company before he started work for the Cardinals, uh, got into scouting on the Cardinal front, uh, is now running the draft. Uh, a very sharp guy who understands people and uh, has a real good pulse about how things work. And I, I think he's going to be an, an, a dynamic executive uh, with somebody. Uh, obviously, we have a person in charge of that right now. And I'm not trying to push Mo out, but uh, Randy Flores is a guy, along with some other guys within the organization. I mean, you know, you think about Moises, Moises Rodriguez and, and the job he's been able to do. And Mike Gersh has been here for a long time. I mean, they have some front office executives that are team ready as far as having their own team. Yeah, absolutely. That's Mike Claiborne. I'm Matt Pauley. It's the countdown to opening day show. We'll start that conversation with Randy Flores in just a moment here across the Cardinals Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Countdown to Opening Day show continues with Matt Pauley and Mike Claiborne on KMOX. Welcome back in. It's the Countdown to Opening Day show across the Cardinals radio network. We are recording today at Cardinals Nation Restaurant and Bar. This is actually the final time this year that we'll be originating the show from St. Louis. We'll be in Jupiter starting next week. And uh, we're finishing off the St. Louis shows with a bang. We're very happy to welcome onto the program Assistant General Manager, Scouting Director with the Cardinals, former Cardinals pitcher, Randy Flores. Randy, great to see you. How are you? Great to see you. Thanks for having me on with a bang to finish it out. Yes, with a bang. We're glad to, uh, to be able to have you here. What, uh, what does this time of year look like for you? Because college baseball season's just about to get underway. There's always stuff going on with amateur and prep baseball. Obviously, a lot going on in the, the organization. Is this one of your busier times of the year or maybe not so much? It's about to get really, really busy. It's kind of a, you know, this time of the year, uh, just to, as a scouting director, and, and, and those are our scouts who crisscross the country uh, scouting from coast to coast, it's like a little bit of butterflies because you know what's coming. Uh, the, the schedule gets a, a really, really demanding here. Um, you know, as you go to the warmer areas of the country that are, that are open up with baseball, Florida, Texas, Puerto Rico, and California, and then after a few weeks there, you start working your way into some of the other areas that are opening up as their weather turns around also. And so uh, it is a calm before the storm for the next couple of days. You still have a, a lot left in your, your baseball career, but do you ever, your path has really been interesting. Had a great college career, drafted a few different organizations, win a World Series. Uh, you do some broadcasting, you do some coaching, you do some uh, you know, private industry stuff where you, where you started your own business, you end up yeah. here in the Cardinals. It's, it's yeah. been an amazing journey. Do you ever think about that? No, it is. It is. When you say it like that, it does sound kind of surreal, um, the way that this journey has, has you know, proceeded. It, it really has. I, I think of this, though. I think of being just so lucky to have so much of this journey being intersected and attached to the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, you don't get to decide where you are drafted. You don't get to decide what team drafts you. You don't get to decide oftentimes uh, which organization you'll get to the big leagues with, or you obviously don't know if you're going to be in a winning organization or losing organization. And so to come up as a minor league player after free minor league free agency as a Cardinal to make the team, to get to the world series, to win a world series, it, that, that already is a dream come true. And then as my professional post-uniform career evolved to circle back and work for the Cardinals and, and now try to have an influence over the future teams of the Cardinals, it's, it's, there really is like pinch me moments. I talk about this with Cardinals alum all the time, and obviously you still work for the team, but in many ways, because you played for the Cardinals, you won a World Series, mm -hmm. you're a Cardinal for life, and it doesn't matter if you've got an office in Bush Stadium or not. No, you're right. The, the, the amazing part about doing this job in St. Louis is how passionate the Cardinals are, fans are for baseball, and not just what goes on there in Bush Stadium. To give an example, um, I get the job uh, in September of 15. I move here without my family for a few months um, as they're waiting for the school semester to end, and and I go to the DMV here in St. Louis to get my St. Louis driver's license. Uh, license. I wait in line. Uh, the gentleman helps me out. Um, he's asking for the various paperwork I need. 
And uh, he stamps the final thing, hands me the envelope with my temporary license, and he says, now, Mr. Flores, go find us some good ball players." <laughs> I mean, there's I'm just, you know, I'm, I was anonymous here as a player, right? Mm-hmm. The last guy on this team. You know, the famous guys were the famous guys. I was just trying to, to stay on the team. And now there are no famous scouting directors. But St. Louis is so rabid, right, uh, as a fan base, and, and they know the inner workings of this team, and they know uh, the value of the pipeline. It was just amazing to... Uh, to go through the process of getting a license and having the gentleman on the other side of the desk said, now go find us some ballplayers. Uh, Thomas Sejaci was here during the uh, winter warm-up weekend, and uh, I talked to him, and he was like, how do people know who I am? <laughs> I, that, it's amazing because he was walking around, and people knew who he was, and he had been a Cardinal for, you know, 15 minutes basically, and, and he's walking around, and people know who he is. I have uh, school-age children, and, and one of their friends asked me while they were over playing in the yard, uh, Mr. Flores, do you know Tink Hentz? And so they just know their, their knowledge. This is a, you know, a sixth grade, you know, seventh grade uh, kid in, in, in town knows about the pipeline and what fans are potentially excited for here. Pretty special. You were drafted by the Cardinals, didn't sign, came right. and eventually drafted by the Yankees, but yeah. you end up card- with the Cardinals later. Was that a tough decision at the time when you didn't sign with the Cardinals initially? No. It, 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 <laughs> to not get into the specifics, it would have been silly for me to sign based off of where I was drafted and what I was offered. Mm-hmm. And so... I knew that I needed to finish my degree, and at that time, uh, from the information I had, I was not going to be in a position to be able to finish my schooling at, at SE as part of the package. And so it really was an easy decision knowing that, you know, education first and foremost, and then we would figure out, you know, how long baseball lasted when baseball uh, came into the picture full time. And so the next year, you know, I'm drafted by the Yankees, and I, I, you know, I had a degree from SC. It was a finance emphasis out of the business school, and I thought, you know what, let's give this baseball thing a couple years, and uh, minor league baseball, and then we'll figure out what life is next if, if, if I'm not gaining traction. Well, two years turned into nine, parts of nine seasons in the minor leagues, just grinding it out, you know, trying to stay in the game, uh, and, and wound up turning to where the jersey really had to be ripped off my back before I stopped playing. When you go back to your college career, you had a fantastic career. You're holding records still at at USC. How special? You talk so much about the baseball journey. That's very much the beginning part uh, of the jersey uh, journey, excuse me. But that, I mean, you did some really incredible things there. Well, look, one of my favorite things to do is to talk about my collegiate career so we can fill up the next (laughs) hour doing that. But, no, but to use your words, it really was a special time. And I think collegiate baseball is the perfect path for a lot of people if they, if they have aspirations to get in the pro game. Um, you know, take care of your education first. Make as much progress as you can. And to do that down the street from, you know, where I grew up, essentially, and to do it as a recruited walk-on, and then to, to go on and, and have the career I wound up having there, it really, uh, you know, it was a special time in my life. feels like the college baseball profile is continuing to, to grow. TV obviously helps with that. The College World Series in Omaha is one of the great sporting events that happens in our country on an every-year basis. Are you glad that more people are realizing the high-level baseball that's being played at the collegiate level? Yeah, I am, both both in two fronts. One, I'm, I'm, I'm glad as a, as a former college baseball player, knowing that that time of life of, of, of a true team, right, in the minor leagues as a player – Yes, it's a team, but you're also really competing against your teammates to try to get another level up in the big leagues or, or towards the big leagues. And in college, it's a, it's a true team deal. So as a former collegiate player, it's, it's, so, um, it's welcoming to see that the attention that college baseball uh, is getting and deserves. But also now as a front office executive in charge of the draft, um, it's helpful 
having talented players go to college. And, and those colleges, you know, off are just so um, formative in maturation of a player, both in their practice, their work ethic, uh, socially, um, just going through those formative uh, time of life on a college campus. I think that there could be value to that for helping their transition to a professional path compared to someone who comes out as a 17-year-old mm -hmm. and is going through those formative years in a professional environment. It's also wild. You look at the technology. Uh, you, so many guys go and work out at Vanderbilt now, and they've mm -hmm. got you know, their pitching lab and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I, I, when I worked in the Midwest League, I remember some SEC guys coming in and going, yeah. man, I, I played in a better ballpark yeah. when, I was yes. a, uh, when I was a college player Crazy. than I'm playing here. It, it, the resources that exist in the college game now can really help these guys become better ballplayers. Yeah, the resources are amazing, the, the, the facilities are amazing, the attention and attendance is amazing. And then you add the new thing over the last couple of years of the NIL. Mm -hmm. and, and now you're having players who, you know, are, are, are talk about resources. Um, it's turning into just a different level uh, from even a few years ago. We're talking with uh, Randy Flores, scouting director uh, for the Cardinals, former Cardinals uh, pitcher. Uh, when you're in the minor leagues... You want to win, mm -hmm. but sometimes winning is second to development. When you're playing in college, you want guys to get better, but you want to win. How mm -hmm. important is it bringing people into an organization who know how to win? Very, very important. And it's something that we talk about with our scouts and with our player development. And, you know, Gary LaRock and his staff have to work on that once they're in our organization. But you hear our coaches and our coaching staff going, going down my eight years here talk about is this person, a, is, this, is this player a winning player? Yes, talent matters, but, but the question that's always asked, is the player a winning player? And I, and I think that when you, when, you, when you talk about that, you're looking for someone who expects to win, uh, who sacrifices um, themselves for the betterment of the team, um, who picks up teammates when they're not doing well, they're not so myopic on their own world, uh, their own problems that they don't pick up others. And so we do hope to bring in players who have that winning mindset. You're listening to my conversation with former Cardinals pitcher, current scouting director, Randy Flores, as we continue on with the countdown to a opening day show. We are getting set for opening day, baseball season right around the corner. Also coming up, Valentine's Day. How would you like to treat your Valentine to dinner and a game with Cardinals all-inclusive tickets starting as low as $55? All-inclusive tickets feature premium seats, a full buffet, and complimentary bar service. For complete offer details, visit cardinals.com slash valentines. And later on this hour, we're going to have uh, Whitney Banker on from uh, the Cardinals front office, and we'll talk a little bit one about uh, one of the newest Cardinals all-inclusive areas. That's coming up a little bit later. Up next, we continue our conversation with randy flores that's next here on the cardinals radio network now back to the countdown to opening day show presented by amron on kmox it's the countdown to opening day show here on the cardinals radio network alongside of mike claiborne I'm Matt Pauley. Cardinals Authentics is the only place that you can get game-used and autographed memorabilia directly from the St. Louis Cardinals. Visit cardinalsauthentics.com or visit the store on the first floor of Cardinals Nation inside of Ballpark Village. I stopped in there earlier today uh, after I was done recording with Randy Flores. Uh, they've got some game-worn jerseys on sale for $100. Just trying to let you know about that. That sale is going to be going on for just a little while longer, but you might want to check that out for yourself. Let's rejoin that conversation I had with uh, Randy Flores. So 
from a transaction standpoint, he was drafted by the Cardinals but did not sign in 96. In 97, he was drafted by the Yankees. He eventually went to the Rangers and then was selected off waivers by the Rockies before he was granted free agency. He signed as a free agent with the Cardinals then, uh, and, and again, he was drafted by them all the way back uh, in 96 uh, but did not sign. He finally joins the organization officially as a minor league free agent in 2003, and I asked him uh, whether or not it was gratifying that a team that was in on him so many years earlier came back and got him once he was available once again. Look, it's a scary thing in free agency, especially in my level where it was a minor league free agent, and you know the internet... <laughs> leaves no stone left unturned. You can see how bad my year was before I signed here as a minor league free agent. I was pitching in Colorado Springs, which is like a pitching on the... I spent six years broadcasting okay. Colorado Springs, so, you know, so I know all about it. You pitch in Colorado yeah. Springs, you're, you're humbled. And I was there for a full year, and uh, Mo, my boss now, uh, was the one who called uh, my agent and said that they had interest and brought me in as a uh, non-roster invitation to camp on a minor league contract, and I was just so thrilled to one, be out of Colorado Springs, but mm-hmm. two, to have a fresh start. And uh, kind of surreal that it happened with an org that, you know, six years previous had drafted me or seven years previous had drafted me. That's a, the, people don't realize, and they, they don't have affiliated baseball there anymore. They lost their AAA affiliation there. I guess that kind of independent type ball now. Yeah. Um, but, man, that is a, that's a tough place to yeah, play. Yeah, I think it's 6,500 feet yeah. elevation. The wind blows out a lot. Uh, not only are you playing there, but uh, then you're playing also in Albuquerque. You're playing in Las Vegas. Uh, you're playing in Reno. And mm-hmm. so uh, there was no safe space to hide on the mound out in that spot. Is it good that uh, Memphis is no longer a PCL team and they're an international league team? Man, I think, look, just not just good for Memphis, but good for the, the game, right? The, the travel in the, in the old traditional Pacific Coast League was really insane. You'd go from Memphis to Tacoma, Washington. Yeah. And so the realignment, I think, has just brought benefits uh, across the board for staff and for players themselves. To you know, the, the season is hard enough uh, when you add some of those uh, cross-country flights with the same day of a game. That was a, another level of, of testing your grit. Obviously, it really started to click for you. You put up some really good numbers with the Cardinals. You had a great postseason run uh, there in, in the World Series year. Who helped you? What, what was the thing that allowed it to kind of click in for you? Well, that's a good question. I think that I, I can answer that so many different ways, but I think one of the things that, that helps is teammates. I'll just go to a specific example. In that 2004 season when I was playing in Memphis, um, I was kind of a swing guy, a little bit in the rotation, a little bit in the bullpen, and, and in doing that, I, I was pitching well, as you mentioned. And uh, I'll never forget... Uh, Rick Ankiel was coming back from his injury, mm-hmm. and, and, and Tommy John, I think, or I, I forget the exact reason, but he took my rotation spot in Memphis. And I remember just being disheartened, you know, as a competitor, you're, you're pitching well, you, and, and it seems like, you know, you, you're doing everything you can to get one more chance at the big leagues, and, uh, and, and, and someone else comes in and takes my spot. And I, I went to lunch with, with Dan Heron, mm-hmm. right? Dan Heron was a member of that team before he got traded, and I was venting to him and, and relaying my frustration and said that, you know what, I think, I think this is it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit after the season. It was, you know, maybe uh, two months or so into the, the end of the season. And he says, why? And I said, look, I'm doing everything I can to, to try to get one more chance at the big leagues. And if it's not meant to be, it's just not meant to be. There's nothing else I can do. Um, and he stopped me and he said, look, don't, don't do that. You don't do that until your performance tells you you have to stop. 
And he really encouraged me to, to not worry about when the next opportunity would come, but to instead worry about my performance, worry about my preparation, worry about my commitment. And he kind of rejuvenated me to realize that there's so much out of my control and to let that go and to just do the job. Lo and behold, I go in the bullpen, my stuff ticks up a little bit, and Steve Klein pops his groin, and I'm the one who gets called up. And so I just think that just that little moment in time, and I'm not saying that that moment in time was what propelled me to stay in the big leagues and pitch in the World Series, but you never know when you need to get picked up, and that moment picked me up and, and kept me ready for when the things that I could not control turned in my favor. How often do you share that story with, with the young guys coming up? I don't think ever. I don't think ever. I think I share the story of that in, you, you never know where your moment of assistance will come from, and you never know when what you say will assist someone else. But I don't recall ever sharing that specific story, but now that you reminded me, I think i got to put that in the roll deck. Well, it, it's a tough end. Look, and I think the Cardinals are really good at rewarding performance in, in the minor leagues, but industry-wide, if you're a first-round pick, you're going you're gonna to be on a, on a fast path that maybe somebody who is an undrafted guy does, and it doesn't always matter about performance, or you're going to lose your spot in the rotation. The, things like that happen in, in the world of baseball, and it's the guys who do realize what you just said. Hey, if, if I just keep performing, mm -hmm. at some point my number is going to be called. You're right, and, and especially, and you said it, in this org where, where performance is rewarded, your path, you know, getting here gives you maybe a few more shots on goal, depending on, you know, what type of investment the team has in you. But ultimately, you perform, you move. And again, Gary LaRock is, is you know, opens up spring training saying to, to the guys on the teams, before they break, it's not about where you start the season, it's about where you finish. And so keeping that in mind, and, and remember, my story was back before social media, back before as much third-party publications posted real-time information, a prospects list and such. I can only imagine the fishbowl effect that today's players in systems have to undergo, whether they not they know that their first prospect or the 30th or not even on a list. And so the intentionality with which they need to um, filter all of that and control what they, they control um, is vital to their performing to the best of their abilities. Wasn't that long ago, Baseball America would publish an annual book. You'd have the prospect rankings in there, and they would be that until the next year when there's a book. And now you have MLB pipeline, and a trade is made, and you know, seven seconds later, the, the, the prospect rankings are, are, are updated and everything. It's a completely different world. You're totally right. And even going before that, these players are tracked as amateurs. They're yeah. tracked in college. They're tracked in travel ball. They're tracked in 10U tournaments if you want to find a spot. I bet there's a ranking for it. And so uh, the speed with which this information gets out there is at hyperspeed now. We talked about the good things about college baseball, but we still have this thing in amateur baseball where – Kids too young are being asked to, to throw pitches they shouldn't be throwing. At the college level, guys are throwing too many pitches in games sometimes. Do you, how often do you see some of that stuff happening and you just cringe as you look at it? You know, there, there's, you, you could split that up in a, in a lot of different ways. What, what really makes me cringe, I would say, is when I, when I hear from parents, well, what can I do to get my, my son to, to want to, to be better at baseball? and to get him to, to practice more, and to get him to focus more. My, my thought on that is, look, I was someone who did not play organized baseball when I was 11 and 12 years old. The prime years of Little League and travel ball, 11 and 12, I simply didn't play. My birth date is July 31st, which placed me at the, the cutoff date mm -hmm. for the age levels of, of baseball. So there could be no one younger than me on any team. And you add to that that I was late in maturing and I was small in stature, baseball was no fun at that time. So I didn't play. And somehow, um, 
I still wound up pitching in college and professionally and in the, in the big leagues. And so when they ask for all the right travel ball teams to go to or the right avenues of training, I, I, I just wish that instead um, the focus was on, on the sun, on whether or not the sun loved baseball. I love baseball. I just hated it at that time. And I grew to love, and, and my love came back once I realized that, okay, I was getting a little bit bigger and it was uh, possible for me to keep, keep playing competitively. And so I think when hyper-specialization is happening younger and younger and younger, and people are searching for answers on focus training and the best travel ball teams, the simplest question is, does my son or daughter love what they're doing? And if they love it, that comes naturally. Major League Baseball is doing some things to try to make baseball more accessible. They've got urban programs, things like that. All the teams are involved in that. But is it an issue right now that at the youth level, it has become cost prohibitive for some to be involved in baseball at the highest level? Yeah, I, th- I think so. But I even go through this. Let me answer it this way. I go to um, even my experience now with having kids. And, and you can imagine, as someone who played baseball and loved baseball, you know, the thought would be that, uh, you know, it would be natural for my kids to play baseball when they were of age. But I think <laughs> one of the things that I was realizing is that the pace of baseball, when you're at the young, 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 young level, I'm talking four, five, and six, you know, t-ball, it's not really baseball, it's babysitting. Mm-hmm. And those kids, you're, comp- are, you're competing for their attention with soccer and basketball and lacrosse and other sports that you get a lot more touches and a lot more interaction and a lot more uh, less sitting around. And so... I, I think that, you know, you know, you go all the way to that youth formative morma, uh, formats, you're seeing that, you know, there's a lot of competition for the, the time of, of a family and the time of kids' part, sport participation. And anything that we can do to make the sport, I'm talking at the baby, baby level, uh, increase touches, increase action, make the field smaller, make it more engaging, I think would do wonders for continuing to keep the enthusiasm in our game from a young level. In some ways, that's being applied at the big league level with the rule changes and, and things like that. There's, there's a group of people that kind of lament how baseball looks now because maybe the most aesthetically pleasing version of baseball is not the most winningest version of baseball, but we saw the, the shift go away and bigger bases for stealing bases and everything. So those lessons that maybe can be learned at the youngest age can also be applied to Major League Baseball. Yes, 100%. And look, before, before you get of a skill level where you know, playing the game um, makes sense in a team environment, some of my greatest memories of being little, 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 playing baseball were just playing in makeshift games in the yard, you know, over the line, as they would call it, right? It was a two-man team. Someone guards the line, someone in the outfield, and all you do is you, is you take turns with, you know, two people on a team. It, increasing the touches and making the game um, as organic and natural versus the, the constraints of a five-year-old team baseball, I think uh, – has a chance of keeping our kids' attention span. That's Randy Flores, former Cardinals pitcher, now scouting director and assistant general manager. We've got a lot more coming up with him. Really interesting conversation. I hope you'll uh, stick around for that. We recorded that earlier today over at uh, Cardinals Nation Restaurant and Bar inside of uh, Ballpark Village. Great place to go for families. They do their uh, Wednesday night family night with Fred Bird. This is all the way through March 20th. Kids eat free. One free kids meal for children at 12 and under per adult meal purchased. Fred Bird's there. Games, prizes. Uh, they also have a happy hour on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday nights from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock where you can get 25% off appetizers and drink specials each night. All the details at cardinalsnation.com. We'll take a break. Have more in just a moment. It's the Countdown opening day show on the Cardinals Radio Network. 
The Countdown to Opening Day show continues with Matt Pauley and Mike Claiborne on KMOX. It's the Countdown to Opening Day show here across the Cardinals radio network. We're really happy to uh, welcome in one of my favorite people who works for the Cardinals. She is Whitney Baker, uh, account executive, works with all-inclusive tickets uh, with the Cardinals. Whitney, great to see you. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. What's the excitement level in the office right now because pitchers and catchers report in less than a week? We're thrilled. It's like the longest, shortest offseason ever. Um, it always feels like it's going to be so long, and then it's here before you know it, and pitchers and catchers are next week, like you said, and we're back We're we're back in action, back like we never left. I always tell people all-inclusive tickets is the way to go. They, they start at a, at a pretty nominal number. You're getting all your food, all, all your drink. If you want to experience Cardinal baseball the right way, all-inclusive tickets is the way to do it. There's no better way to do it. I mean, I, I obviously am biased, but um, <clears throat> I think when you come in and you're buying tickets and you're, you're doing a little night out or you're doing a weekend or whatever, you might as well just go for it. You know, get your, your drinks and your, your food and everything included. And um, I, I, it's the only way I do it. So <laughs> I vouch for it. I know baseball teams try to kind of reinvent themselves on an every year basis. This year, from an all-inclusive standpoint, uh, a new area is available with the Budweiser 703 Club. Yeah, we have a, a rookie debut this year. Um, it's really fun. We haven't had a new club since 2017. And um, so to, to kind of develop this, and, and Budweiser is such a great partner of ours, and, and has, or I'm sorry, Anheuser-Busch has been such a great partner of ours and has been for so long. So to kind of get to work with them on something like this and, and create this new space is so much fun. And to kind of, it's, it's such a great nod to Albert Pujols and his legendary career. Um, so it's, it's a fresh take, and it's different than our other clubs. And I didn't actually realize until recently but bush stadium has the most all-inclusive clubs of any park in major league baseball so for us to come in and develop a new one and it's a super super fresh take on it is super exciting for us one of the things that's a little bit different is the open kitchen concept can you talk about that a little bit and what that looks like absolutely we're we're sort of straying away in this space from a traditional buffet um it's it's food stations like a like you said an open kitchen concept um, with, uh, gosh, it's a, a stone fire pizza, um, fresh pasta. They're making the pasta fresh every single day here at the stadium. Um, we're doing soft serve ice cream. There's, it's, it's, you know, the shrimp cocktails and, um, there's like fresh veggies every day. So it's a fun, really, really new take on what we've done well all these years. Um, you know, the floor to ceiling windows, the, the mesh seating. It's just, there's a lot of really fun parts about this club that are different than what we already have while still knowing what we do well. It's also cool with Valentine's Day coming up, some Valentine's Day specials going on, cardinals.com slash valentine, yeah. and that includes opportunities to get into the 703 Club. Absolutely. It's, it's a great Valentine's Day gift. Um, it, it's fun because we're, you know, like you had mentioned earlier, there are some games that the, the prices are super reasonable. I think we're starting around $90, $95 in there. Um, so to get your ticket, to get an open bar, and to get you know, all those food options for that price point is fantastic. Okay, so explain to me the new type of seat that's being used. Yes, okay, so something I am very passionate about in this new club um, is the mesh seating. So traditionally, you know, we have kind of the red bucket seats. We all know St. Louis gets hot, you know, in the summer, and so we're doing mesh seating. Um, so it's 
designed, you know, for like better airflow and, and that type of thing. So um, I think it's going to be really great for us for those July and August games. And then we also have two little tray tables next to all your seats. So the, the days of just resting food on your lap is over. Um, we've got, you know, kind of again reinvented sort of what we already do well um, saw some need for modifications and, and really went for it in this club we've all been there the uh, the drink under our seat somebody walks in somebody kicks it over right. we forget some nachos are there we step in right. it you never have to worry about that no your shoes are trash no we're the the days of that are long gone and we're so excited to test them out i i tested it out and um you know again just even for Gosh, for July and August, you know, you can't beat mesh seating for sure. And, and towards the end of the game, folks can take advantage of the uh, the ice cream and the dessert station. Absolutely. We are, uh, the, the premium sales department is passionate about our soft serve ice cream. So <laughs> that was a, a big hit for us. And we, we, something we really, really vouched for to be in that new space. And there's going to be other dessert options as well, but super fun to do kind of a create your own ice cream sundae situation. So we mentioned the, the Valentine's Day deals. Later on, some dynamic deals are going to be happening. I know we can't get too much into that, but sure. certainly something that uh, people are going to uh, should keep their eye out for. Yeah, and that goes for lots of other areas as well. Um, you know, we're, we're bringing back the very, very popular industry nights, which is so exciting. Um, you know, we, we were looking at the industries. If you're in an industry, we probably have it. So um, that's going to be great. We're going to do a lot with Legends Club. Um, you know, out in our Coca-Cola areas as well. And then like you had mentioned, the dynamic deals will be back. Tickets are, you know, around $55 are starting at $55. So to have those back again this year is exciting and, and to have such good options and so many clubs now that are involved in that, I think it's great. Cardinals.com, Cardinals.com slash 703 club, Cardinals.com slash Valentine's, Cardinals.com slash, was it all-inclusive? Okay, so uh, that's where folks can go. Whitney, great to see you. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me. That is uh, Whitney Banker. We'll take a uh, break, have more in just a moment. It's the Countdown to Opening Day show on the Cardinals Radio Network. We are starting to wrap up our number one of the countdown to opening day show here on the Cardinals radio network alongside of Mike Claiborne, who's already down in Jupiter. My name is Matt Pauley. I'll be down in Jupiter for next week's show and the uh, duration of the run of the countdown to opening day show will be coming your way from Cardinals spring training. You can register now for the 2024 Cardinals 5k. It's taking place on April 13th. All participants will receive an exclusive t-shirt finishers medallion featuring Willie McGee plus the opportunity to take a victory lap around the Bush Stadium warning track and all the proceeds will benefit Cardinals care. You can sign up now at cardinals.com slash 5K. Uh, this is a really, really cool event. Uh, the shirt that you get is awesome. It looks great. And uh, there is a, a virtual option available for this as well. Hopefully you've been tuned in from the beginning of the show. We're right in the middle of an extended conversation with former Cardinals uh, pitcher and now current assistant GM and scouting director Randy Flores. We will continue that conversation in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. It's the Countdown to Opening Day show on the Cardinals Radio Network. Now, Matt
back to the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on KMOX. Welcome back in as we get into hour number two of the Countdown to Opening Day show here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne is down in Jupiter. My name's Matt Pauley. Earlier today, I was at Cardinals Nation Restaurant, and if you didn't know, they host the only official St. Louis Cardinals pregame party with a two-and-a-half-hour DJ-hosted all-you-can-eat, all-you-can-drink event before every home game. Tickets are on sale now at cardinals.com slash pregame. Love Cardinals Nation Restaurant. I had, it was like a brisket quesadilla. It's something that uh, is a special right now. It's not on their main menu. It's what I had for lunch today. It was really, really good. I had that uh, just after I wrapped up our conversation with former Cardinals pitcher, current scouting director, Randy Flores. And let's jump right back into uh, that conversation. Flores was part of the 2006 World Series champion Cardinals. And I asked him maybe what the the biggest memory for him was of that season, not just the World Series, but of that season, everything that happened and how they became world champions. So let me just take it on on a personal level. And then if you want to ask team questions, I'll take it afterwards. But that month of September of 06, I was awful, Uh, awful in the pen. And You'll recall our team, I think, had three separate sessions of seven-game losing streaks, and I think I was, like, a part of every single one of those streaks in a bad way, not a good way. I was not the stopper. And I, and I, and I remember at the end of the season, we're in Houston, and I give up a, a, a big home run or an RBI that loses the game, and I'm just bombed, and I'm, and I'm thinking that I'm, I'm ruining our chance of getting into the postseason. And uh, I, I'll never forget that Larusa came in as the locker room's just dead quiet, and all I want to do is, is disappear. And Tony tells the, the room, uh, hey, there's, there, you guys are down right now, and there's some of you who are, are really down right now. But, but pick your heads up because we're going to need you in this postseason. And that's all he said, and he walked out. And it was as if he was talking straight to me. You know, I was thinking that I was the reason for the season ending. And sure enough, we wind up squeaking in the postseason. I think we wound up, uh, if I remember right, Atlanta won on the last day in order for us to get in without having to have a playoff game. And, 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 and sure enough, you know, those message, that message Tony said rang true, you know, in that run for me personally that season, that, that postseason. What did it mean for you that even though you had struggled going into the postseason, there was trust and you, you kept getting the ball handed to you? It's a powerful thing, and it kind of built a momentum, you know, as a, as a young player then, you know, you're just trying to, uh, to stay in the big leagues, um, you're, you're making that battle, or at least I was, daily. It, it was a daily battle to believe that you were good enough for the moment. And there were several times that year where, you know, hearing Tony's words or, or hearing that phone ring and him asking for me to get in the game, you know, get flow going, um, it gave me just as the jolt of confidence that I often didn't have intrinsically in myself. It's, um, for a manager... There's a line, right, like where if you're talking too much, if, you're, if there's too many messages in the clubhouse, it kind of gets lost. But if you say nothing, you're not motivating. Was Tony really good at picking and choosing the points and where he was going to deliver those kind of messages? Look, I was never, or, 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 you know, I was not around Tony for, you know, 10 years, 15 years. I wasn't, you know, a, a sage veteran where, you know, he was leaning on me for anything. So let me just make sure that I, I, I respect my position on that team. But what, what meant a lot to a guy like me who was, you know, I, I would say, you know, the, the, the 24th or 25th man on, on a team uh, was that he would still work to put me and those types of players in positions to succeed, right? We weren't the doormat. Uh, and secondly, uh, what I most appreciate is that the times that I was really struggling and I went in to 
to, to share and be transparent with Tony in his office that I was struggling, but whether in confidence or whether in execution or, you know, in some ways apologize for messing up. Um, he would never kick you when you were down. Instead, he, I think he saw that I was taking the initiative to, to own it and instead would do everything he could to build you back up. And he would do that discreetly. And, uh, I think that that trust, um, was something that I, I really think was special. Where do you keep your ring these days? I keep it in my sock drawer in my nightstand. Yeah, or the, the, in, in a rolled-up sock in my nightstand. Um, I, I, I am absent-minded, and I tend to misplace things, and I don't want to misplace that. Mm-hmm. So I wear it very, very infrequently, and uh, I know where it is right now because it hasn't moved uh, ever since the, the, the moment um, it was handed to us. I always love talking to former ball players about... Um, the memorabilia that they keep in their home and maybe keep on, on display. Some guys have a ton of it. Some guys, not so much. Where are you at in that? I'm on the, the none of it. I, I really don't. I've never been a collector of anything. Uh, when I was playing, I never asked someone in the other locker room to sign something. I was very infrequently asked any of our own teammates to sign something. Uh, I just, you know, not right or wrong, those who collect or not, I just, I've never been, I've never been that way. And uh, so I'm on the very, very low end. We mentioned at the start of the interview, post-playing career, you did so many things. Coaching, broadcasting, you started a, a company before in your current role. Did, were you on a path, or were you figuring out what your baseball journey was going to look like post-playing career? Yeah, so I, I think that I was trying to figure it out. I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I knew that I, in a perfect world, would incorporate the business world with the sports industry in some fact, because that's what I knew. I knew sports, and so... I enrolled in graduate school at the time to try to, to try to reintegrate in in a world that I had been siloed from, you know, for 15 years of professional. I wasn't exactly doing internships in the off season, right? It was 100% maniacal commitment to playing the game, and so enrolling in graduate school and working in the athletic department, I thought would afford me an opportunity to kind of get caught up into, you know, the modern academic world and uh, the modern Southern California, USC. I went back to USC to go to graduate school, and kind of figure out uh, what was next. Uh, one thought would be to get into the athletic administration track of, an, of a university. That, that evolved into getting a coaching job because we had a coaching change and they needed someone. But basically, um, I was operating under the thought that a lot of the people that I talked to in various sectors of life, whether it's business, whether it was broadcasting, whether it was front office, whether it was ministry, whether it was uh, public service, the way they got to their seat was most often a meandering journey where they could not have predicted that they would have wound up there except that they did uh, the best that they could and whatever they did at that moment and doing that and doing that for people allowed them opportunities of continued growth and so in a lot of ways they thought that they got lucky so I thought to myself though I don't have time you know 20 years to figure out this luck you know I was uh, 38 years old 37 years old had two kids and I thought to myself, well, if I just do five things or so at 100% speed, then maybe one of those will wind up leading to my, to my luck. And so I wound up coaching. I wound up going full-time graduate school. I was working when I wasn't coaching full-time in the athletic department. Um, that led to broadcasting. That led to starting that company. Um, and that led to my continued communication with my boss, uh, John Mozalock, who helped uh, write a letter of recommendation for me to graduate school. Hmm. And because he did that, uh, I, I was giving him updates, you know, just call them quarterly updates on life. And so, lo and behold, my luck wound up happening on that baseball uh, journey 
uh, with Mo reaching out when uh, the scouting director position was open and, and recommending that I, that I apply for it. Mo's really impacted you and oh, yeah. throughout your entire career, it seems. Oh, yeah, 100%. What's, uh, what is it like to, to work for him and work with him? I think that he's an example of longevity that's very, very uh, unique to the, the modern, I don't almost say the modern media coverage of sport, right? Um, you also have people who, you know, we, they're always looking for um, the next thing. And Mo is very, very present. One of the biggest things that, you know, he told me early on in my, in my tenure here uh, is that, look, Flo, you're going to be overseeing scouts, multiple roles, multiple different roles in scouts. And know, just know that whenever they come to you with something, uh, or whenever anyone does, uh, and they're looking to you for advice or counsel or decision, just know that it is the most important thing on their, to them on their desk. And so it was just an example of Mo as president. Uh, I see how he gives the time to people who come to him uh, with whatever issue, um, that he is coming from a spot where he makes you feel like not only is it the most important thing to you, since you're bringing it up, but it then becomes the most important thing to him. Uh, and it's a really strong example of leadership that I, I try uh, to emulate. You clearly could have walked down any of these other paths. I'm sure you would have been a very successful broadcaster. You could have gone into coaching. I'm sure at some point in time you would have gotten the opportunity to do it at the, at the pro level. But, but you went down this path. What, what separated this from those other things that you dabbled in? Well, I think that this is a great combination of business and sports, right? It's just a different way of doing it. Um, there are systems in place that have nothing to do with coaching or the uniform here on player evaluation, player evaluation, uh, uh, player assessments and tracking, uh, the integration of our performance department, our movement analysis, our, our actual historical performance and, and major league equivalent. And then you're also managing people on a staff and, and who have different lenses of the world and of the game and, 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 uh, and different work product. And so there is a business component to this that I think blends with you know, a, a, a dysfunctionally competitive person who happened to come up in baseball and, and looking at it now, Baseball's been a part of my life since I was, you know, five years old. Uh, been a part of my, you know, what I do every single day from, I would count it my freshman year in college, you know, which is, you know, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to combine the love of this game uh, with, with a product where you keep score, right? You keep score in Bush Stadium. Uh, you keep score in the draft. Uh, you keep score year over year. Uh, I think that it's what keeps uh, every day exciting. That's Randy Flores, former Cardinals pitcher, current scouting director. I hope you are enjoying uh, this conversation. I certainly enjoyed having it with him earlier today. And you know what? We've got more coming up. We'll uh, roll on with Randy Flores in just a moment. It's the Countdown to Opening Day show on the Cardinals Radio Network. The Countdown to Opening Day show continues with Matt Pauley and Mike Claiborne on King OX. You are locked to the countdown to opening day show here on the Cardinals Radio Network alongside of Mike Claiborne. I'm Matt Pauley. Are you looking for a truly unique event space? Cardinals special events can help to create memorable corporate and personal events in both Bush Stadium and Cardinals Nation Restaurant. For more information on options for an experience your guest won't stop talking about, visit cardinals.com slash events. We are in the middle of our conversation with Randy Flores, former Cardinals pitcher. He now has an assistant GM title in 
addition to serving as the club's scouting director. Now, after he got done playing, he did a number of things. He did some broadcasting. He did some uh, coaching. But he also had a startup company uh, where uh, he created something called On Deck Digital. It was a product which uh, utilized video capture technology, allowing players and scouts to evaluate gameplay. It was pretty successful. Scouting departments across Major League Baseball clubs started using his product, and that's what he was doing prior to uh, joining the Cardinals full-time. And I asked him what was the benefit of kind of being outside of baseball and, and being in you know the private sector, for lack of a, a better term, what the benefit was for him being in that area before returning to uh, working directly inside of the game for a club. You know what? It benefited me because part of um, starting that business was a business plan. It was seeking business mentors. It was the financials. Um, uh, it was also uh, meeting and, and interacting with um, engineers and software developers. Those are all things that I never would have done. I didn't do that in college. You know, I was a finance emphasis. And then, like I said, I didn't start interning. I didn't dabble in the real world as a baseball player. Uh, and so learning that, learning how to take something from idea and concept to execution and product was something that really was beneficial to preparing me for this role and, and a role like this uh, where you have a, a problem, uh, you have possible ways to solve a problem or an issue, uh, and then you have to take that to fruition with a team. Uh, I think that it was incredibly valuable. How would you describe the impact that technology now has in evaluating players and how, how it's made, has it made baseball better, has it made baseball worse? about evaluating amateur players or major just, players? Just overall, I mean, we, we evaluate, uh, we have, baseball players are evaluated using technology now in ways that they weren't used previously. And like I mentioned earlier, it seems like maybe the game isn't as aesthetically pleasing because we know the routes to go down, and it all comes back to technology. The, the average fan out there will say, when, when they're complaining about something, they'll just go, oh, it's because of analytics, and yeah. that's always kind of a short-sighted thing. Look, I, I think it's just different. Yeah. I, I, wish, I, I wish that some of this technology was around when I was a minor league player because I think that it would have quickly have assisted me in finding my way rather than the trial and error of 1,100 minor league innings, 1,100 minor league innings. I, I tell the story that, you know, I was in the bullpen and Russ Springer and I were just opening up the season together and he's asking me, Flo, like, tell me your story. And I wind up telling him, you know, walk on at USC, leave there after four years. And then I, I go in the minor leagues. I'm probably going to quit in a couple of years. And instead I, I don't quit. And then I almost quit with the Cardinals. But then Dan Heron tells me not to. I'm in the big leagues. And, 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 and he goes, and, and I say, you know, it took me like a, 1,100 minor league innings, man. I, I, was, I was in the minor leagues for a long time. And Springer says, Flo, you mean it took, it took someone 1,100 innings to figure out you were left-handed and put you in the dang bullpen? <laughs> so you, just talk, you just talk about the, the trial and error that it took, and I think some of the modern tools available allow players to find the better version of themselves much more quickly than the trial and error that, that we needed uh, years and years and years ago. On the other side, everything is being measured nonstop. And I can understand where it could be difficult to, to, to learn the feel and nuance of, of pitching or of hitting when you're only valuing a specific metric, mm -hmm. whether that would be spin rate, whether that would be exit velocity, whether that would be pitching velocity, whether that would be uh, pitch movement. Um, I, I know that as someone who did not throw particularly hard ever, um, once I found out that that radar gun was up there, I would 
try as hard as I could every pitch rather than sometimes I wouldn't try hard, sometimes I would, sometimes I'd drop my arm angle, sometimes I would go over the top. And I think that one of the things modern players have to be careful with is overvaluing or pitching or playing to a specific metric rather than playing the game. What's the feeling like in the draft when there's a player that you just want and maybe you're four or five picks away and you're just watching and, and hoping that the teams in front of you don't select them and then you, you, you get them from, from an emotional standpoint? Is it exciting when you get one of your guys? Not really. Not in the way you describe okay. it, actually. You have to stay disciplined because if you do that, then the second that player is picked, it, then, then you, you're operating from a spot of, of emotional depletion. You have to... You really have to, and our, and our team um, in that room really tries to be intentional, to be disciplined to the possible outcomes and then not get excited until the actual magnet's in your hand. You say the number of, you know, the serial number, identifying number of the player correctly, and then that player assigns. And so it really is an exercise in discipline that's probably absent the cinematic performance that you might imagine it being. So same thing, you can't have that disappointment when that guy that you really like comes off the board one pick earlier. Correct, yes. Okay. Um, the, the scouting world has changed. Again, this goes back to, to you know, technology and, and data. There's less scouts in baseball today than there were previously. Can you speak to the importance, though, of still having that individual who's going to show up and watch somebody with their own eyes? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, there's so many things that you had mentioned that can track and evaluate players that are, you know, uh, you go all the way to AI in some way, right? But but there really is something um, that's difficult to capture, uh, which is what a scout provides in knowing a player or learning as much as he can about a player, about what makes them tick, about their, their journey to, to a, a possible draft selection. What are their motivations? What's their work ethic like? You know, how, do they, how do they perform you know, when they're struggling? How do they come out of a slump? How do they treat teammates? How do they treat coaches? There's a lot of things that just take time and relationships to try to get, now we don't, we don't do that perfectly. I don't want to pretend that we do that perfectly, but to try, because that does matter. This is a team sport. It's a team sport. There's a real locker room. There's real shared energy um, when you're shoulder to shoulder with a group of people for you know six or seven or eight months. And so our scouts who scour the country, um, we hope that they have strong relationships in their area, uh, strong uh, communication channels with players and their families, their advisors, their coaches, their teachers, um, and so that we can, we can best try to ascertain whether it's the player who's ready for professional baseball and particularly ready for the Cardinals. We've all talked to, like, the grizzled scout who's been doing it forever and knows everybody. You can name anybody, and he's going to tell you some sort of personal story. And how much just this game is built so much on relationships, like you mentioned, and it seems like so often – it's scouts who are the embodiment of the character of baseball. Well, and, and our scouts, they, they run the gamut of lenses and life experiences. We do have that type of scout that you mentioned that, you know, would probably be get uh, thought of as a problem with the curve type scout. But we also have modern scouts who didn't even play the game, but they came up loving the game and they came up analyzing the game. They came up writing for third-party publications of the game. They, they scouted players on their own dollars. And so I, I think it's important to have wide, uh, multiple, and, and varying lenses of the game, all in your scouting department, uh, so that we don't become monochromatic in our view of what a good baseball player is, but that we have dissension, that we have respect, uh, that we have a work ethic um, that meets the demands of the game, and specifically of the standard of those before us. Um, you know, it, it, 
the scouting directors before me have done a great job here. You know, they, they, they have. And so there's a standard here uh, to meet those of your predecessors. And, and my hope is that our scouts, whether they're, you know, 40 years experience in the game or we just hired them last year, uh, that they embrace the challenge uh, of the standard of this org. Last thing for you, are you prideful, and prideful in a good way, do you have pride when you see guys that you had a large role in drafting and just watching them continue to mature, continue to develop through the minor leagues, and then eventually get to the big leagues? What is your pride level when you see that whole journey finally finish at Bush Stadium? There, there's, there's two ways I, I want to answer that. And the first is my first year was hired in 15, and we were in the postseason uh, um, that season, and the look that I saw in the box of, of Mo and of Gary LaRock and of Gersh and of Slater, um, where they knew the story of those players, and Moises Rodriguez, they knew the, the, the story of the players on that field. And I was absent that. I was just fresh off the street watching it with them. But they, they knew the story, and they knew the, the, the journey of that player. They knew the transactions. They knew whether or not they were traded, released, the problems they had in the minor leagues, the health issues they got through, right? They, they knew that. And so it's fun now to have that same look, you know, when we watch, when I'm in the, in the box now, knowing that the history of those players. But here's the other way I'd answer it, is that as a player, you're consumed with yourself. You're consumed with blocking out distractions. You block out family if you have to. You block out uh, the noise. You block out the city. Uh, you block out fans. You block out everything to, to selfishly focus on the task at hand to play at the highest level of competition in the world each day. And that's okay. I think you have to, or at least I had to, or at least I thought I had to. I don't know if I was doing it right, but that's what I did. But now as a front office executive, you talk about picking a magnet or picking a player. You're acutely aware of the mountain of people, the army of people that go into pouring their hearts into this game. And that includes those in stadium operations. Those include in our, in our hospitality. That's included in, in our clubhouse staff and our training staff. That's included, obviously, in our coaches, our trainers. It's included in our, in our scouts and our cross-checkers. There's an army of people who, want, who, who pour their heart into this game, their life into this game, and so you're proud for the group when it works out. Different than as you were a player. Randy, this was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for taking the time. Awesome. Great being here. That was Randy Flores, former Cardinals pitcher, now assistant GM and uh, scouting director for the organization. That was a fun conversation, to be sure. We'll take a break. We've got a lot more coming up. It's the countdown to opening day show on the Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the countdown to opening day show, presented by Amron on KMOX. You are listening to the Countdown to Opening Day show across the Cardinals radio network. Theme tickets are on sale now and feature returning favorites like Star Wars Night, Margaritaville Night, Grateful Dead Night, and many more. New for 2024, check out Battlehawks Night and 90s Night. For a list of all the 2024 theme nights, visit cardinals.com slash theme. There was a baseball-adjacent story over the last couple weeks that I wanted to pass along here on the program. It happened in Wichita, Kansas, where a local little league known as 
League 42 had a statue of Jackie Robinson, just a beautiful statue. And the statue was cut down at the ankles and destroyed. It's a horrible story with a not-so-horrible ending on our flagship station, KMOX in St. Louis. I got to speak with the founder and executive director of that league. It's called League of 42. His name is uh, Bob Lutz, and he told me about what his reaction was when he realized that the statue was gone. I honestly felt sick to my stomach, and I'm not exaggerating there. I almost felt like I was going to pass out. Such a deep feeling of disappointment, anger, bewilderment, and sadness. It was a bad moment. So that's the bad part of the story. It has somewhat of a happy ending as they did a fundraiser and Major League Baseball stepped in and Lutz was able to share the good news that the statue will be replaced. It has been ordered. Yes, so we're going to move forward on that. We're going to put up another Jackie statue. Unfortunately, these things take time. So it's going to be about a six-month period. The foundry in Loveland, Colorado, is going to do its best job to try to beat that six-month timeline. But it will be a great uh, moment to put up another statue. I think it's a message that Jackie Robinson would want us to send, that despite every adversity thrown at us and at him, we're going to try to be able to overcome that. The original designer of the statue has since passed away, but they're going to be able to make an exact replica because they're lucky enough to still have the mold. I think it's standard to hold the mold, but I think the mold has a shelf life. The fact that this happened relatively soon after the the original statue was built. We're talking around three years. Apparently that mold is still viable and can easily be used to recreate this uh, new statue. There's a good chance that you had already heard about this story. It certainly made national news, and Lutz told me that uh, for him, the reaction from uh, the general public, Major League Baseball, everybody, it's just been amazing. I don't know that I have the words. Being a journalist, I knew that this story would develop. I even said to somebody, I think this will be a national story. But I don't think I could have predicted the scope and just how many people it has reached. And that's uh, for two reasons. First and foremost, it's uh, a statue of Jackie Robinson. And secondly, I think people like organizations that serve kids. And that's certainly what League 42 does. We have 600 kids between the ages of 5 and 14. They play baseball. They participate in four education programs that we've started. So we do a lot to help kids, and we do it for very much a nominal fee of $30 per child or family of sibling to play baseball. And there's no charge for our education program. You hate the fact that the story happened in the first place, but certainly the reaction to it uh, restores faith in humanity just a bit. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show on the Cardinals Radio Network. The Countdown to Opening Day show continues with Matt Pauley and Mike Claiborne on KMOX. This is the Countdown to Opening Day show here on the Cardinals Radio Network alongside Mike Claiborne, who's down in Jupiter. My name is Matt Pauley. Treat your Valentine to dinner and a game with Cardinals all-inclusive tickets starting as low as $55. All-inclusive tickets feature premium seats, a full buffet, and complimentary bar service. For complete offer details, visit cardinals.com slash valentines. As we've been talking about throughout much of the program, this is the final week where at least half of the program will originate from St. Louis as I'll head down and uh, be with Mike Claiborne. We'll be face-to-face once again 
starting next week as we get to Jupiter. As far as the schedule goes for what's going to be uh, taking place, pitchers and catchers are going to uh, report on February 13th. That is Tuesday of next week. And then the first official workout is Valentine's Day, February 14th. That's going to be next Wednesday. As far as the uh, full squad report date, uh, the first official full squad workout is not until February 19th. But as we've talked about, many of these players are already down uh, at uh, in, in Jupiter working out. And uh, it, it always feels like spring training is a full go once pitchers and catchers report. There are going to be very few players who wait until the last minute to uh, to actually get in. And this is a year where... There's a lot of guys who have things to prove. In fact, when Mike Claiborne rejoins me in our next segment, we're going to go through some of the main storylines going into spring training and some of the things to watch for right at the beginning of camp because this is going to be a year where there's going to be some competition. There might be fewer opportunities in Grapefruit League games once uh, the games actually start. So it's going to be incredibly important that some of these players who are uh, kind of on the fringe or who are coming in trying to win jobs, it's probably going to be important uh, that they get in and they have uh good results and they look good from the early going. So that's what we're going to do coming up in uh, just a moment or so. Again, do want to say thank you to the folks out at uh, Cardinals Nation Restaurant and Bar. We recorded uh, our conversation with Randy Flores today. Do want to remind you about their uh, home blues game specials. Two hours before game until game time, they've got appetizer and drink specials and you're able to hop on their free trolley from Ballpark Village to Enterprise Center. They also give you a two and a half hour validation so you get cheap parking as as well. All the details, cardinalsnation.com. Mike Claiborne rejoins me in just a moment as we continue on. It's the Countdown to Opening Day show on the Cardinals Radio Network. Now, back to the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on KMOX. Back at it one final time, the Countdown to Opening Day show here on the Cardinals Radio Network. As mentioned, next week when we're doing the show, we will be uh, fully from Jupiter, Florida, as uh, pitchers and catchers are set to report on Tuesday alongside Mike Claiborne. I'm Matt Pauley. Claibs, what's the thing that you're going to be most watching as uh, spring training officially gets underway next Wednesday? Good question. Um, You really can't assess a lot in the first week. I mean, you know, everybody's throwing hard and everybody's doing their thing as far as just trying to be seen and, and doing things that make them a better player. Uh, and then you have the hitters that have come in and every ball is going to be hit, you know, out of the out of the ballpark. You know, I'm really just anxious to see some of the younger players and how well they adapt. Uh, I, I'm going to keep a close eye on Victor Scott II. I think he's a guy that could be an X factor if he gets off early. Uh, especially with Tommy Edmond trying to rehab, that's going to be an interesting decision the Cardinals will have to make because if you look at a guy like Scott and if he does well, you have to say to yourself, the only way he stays is if he's going to be a regular because he needs at-bats. And whether it's in the big leagues or in the minor leagues, he needs at-bats. I think also, obviously, we're going to look at the pitching and who can throw strikes. Now, the only way we can see that is when they start to really play games. You know, you can have a great bullpen, but sometimes that doesn't translate into what you can do when the game starts. So those, those are some of the things we're going to look at. I think the, the physical condition of some players is going to be key. Uh, what, what's Nolan Gorman's back going to be like when he comes into camp? How long is it going to take for Tommy Edmond to get a full swing along with Dylan Carlson? 
I'll throw this at you, and I'll get your opinion on this as well. Dylan Carlson and Tommy Edmond have not been affected from the left side with any great consistency. Is this the year you just say, hey, you know what, let's just see what it looks like from the right side. Now, with that comes a challenge because if you go solely as a right-handed hitter, you're seeing it come out of the pitcher's hand differently from a left-handed pitching stand, or from a right-handed pitching standpoint, because you've never faced guys with any consistency from the right side. So, how do people adapt to that? Those are some of the things you have to take into account. Now, I don't know what they did in the offseason. Maybe they quietly prepared for that, or maybe they just dug in deeper to say to themselves, "I can swing from the left side." So, those are some of the things I want to pay attention to. You know, with Edmund, we already saw him starting to not be a 100% switch hitter, depending yeah. on the style of pitcher that he was facing. Sometimes he'd stick on, on, on the one side. I feel like once you start going down that path, you're already rolling down a hill that results on you being just one-sided. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, you know, this is about results, man. I mean, you know, switch hitting, I'm not sure if it has the impact that it used to. I mean, because, you know, the matchups and the splits we see today, we see some guys who have more reverse splits than anything else. So I'm not sure if it's as valuable as it used to be, but it's something that if you if you were good at it at some point and you can remain consistent, then why not? But I don't think it's paramount for a person to be a switch hitter like they used to be. I think I'd rather have a guy who knows how to steal a base and knows how to be a better sound base runner than being a switch hitter at this point. You know, we talked in our first segment about if you're a non-roster invitee, you better do something early because there just might not be those opportunities. In many ways, I think the same can be applied to some of these individuals that are fighting for bullpen spots. The the oh, Ryan yeah. Fernandez's and the Nick Robertson's of the world, mm-hmm. they got more guys than spots. And attrition always happens. Injuries always happen. Uh, but if you're one of those guys that's on the fringe in terms of the bullpen, uh, you better be on right from the start. So let's just do our own uh, mock bullpen as we get close to spring training. So you figure Helsley, Gio, uh, Jojo, there are three guys we know are going to be there. I would put Middleton right? and Kittredge in there as well. I'd put the, those... Middleton and Kittredge. Okay, so yeah. that's five. Yep, that's five. So we have three spots. I'm going to say Nick Robertson. I'm going, to, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. So now we're down to two. And two of the guys that, that are going to be in that conversation are going to be two lefties in Libertor and also Zach Thompson. There are some other guys on the on the periphery of that. So I think there's two spots open in the bullpen as we speak today. And two of the guys who are competing have big league experience compared to anybody else you bring in. There's one other side of this equation. Ryan Fernandez is a Rule 5 guy, so you can't send him to AAA without offering him back to Boston. Well, here's the deal I would say that. We just got rid of a guy that was a Rule 5 guy that didn't throw a pitch in the season during True. the season. So, And I'm not the biggest proponent that Rule 5 guys are difference makers. I mean, you can go back to the days of Dan Ugla, who might have been the best Rule 5 guy we've seen in the last, let's say, 20 years. But, you know, for the most part, Rule 5 guys are just guys. And I don't know if they're ultimate difference makers on good teams. Now, that doesn't mean they're not major league players, but I'm talking about guys who make the team better, not just fill out a roster. So it's something that we need to take a long look at. Uh, But he's going to have to come in and be really good early. Uh, and, And I think as you make the point, you're stuck with him. And so you have to make a decision here on do you give up somebody else who has options? And that's the other element. I think we ought to take a look at who has options as well, mm-hmm. because I'm of the belief, Matt, that 
the the thirteen man rotation of, of of pitchers will not be the ones we see every day because I think the way we use bullpens, you better have guys who can come up and down, uh, who's who maybe has a tired arm or has an ouchie or whatever and needs more than a couple of days off. You might have to bring a guy up and say, "All right, here you go. Here's your chance." So I think our bullpen will be probably more of a sixteen to seventeen man uh, pitching staff. Because I think you're going to need at least three to four guys who can come in and you know uh, plug in a leak from time to time. Well, yeah, you need those guys too that can go give you three, four innings on a mop up day where you're down by six runs and they never throw that much, and you got to get them off the roster because they're not going to be available to pitch for four or five days. Yeah, I agree with you, and that's something we have to pay attention to. So I'm looking at this. I think we ought to look at who has options, and that will really kind of help decide their fate as well. Uh, and if you have options, then make sure you have a good place to eat in Memphis because you're probably going to have have a chance to spend some time there. And if you have big league experience, I mean, you know, it's about production and, you know, come in and throw strikes. That's a, that's all they ask yeah. for. Swing and miss stuff is now uh, at the front of the list as far as what this Cardinal organization is looking for. That's Mike Claiborne. I'm Matt Pauley. Claibs, we'll be doing this uh, together from Jupiter next week. Looking forward to it, my friends. Safe travels getting here, and uh, we'll make this happen and have a lot of fun doing it. All right, that's great. That's Mike Claiborne. I'm Matt Pauley. Thanks for being tuned in. We'll talk to you again next week from Jupiter. It's the Countdown to Opening Day show on the Cardinals Radio Network.